Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BiteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Gary Gatch, and we will be talking about a book that he co-authored called Carissa's Little Book of Life. Classics of world literature require fresh versions, and Hafiz from the 14th century is no exception. Hafiz's Little Book of Life showcases more than 250 selections from his life work. Also included is a vivid portrait of his life in times, translator notes, an extensive glossary, a bibliography, and an appendix on Hafiz as an oracle. The book's five scenes chart a map for the soul, the state of the world, the power of wine, love, in all its forms and faces, and gender fluidities, Timeless, ancient, living wisdom, and fruition, opening the eye within the heart. It deepens our understanding of the people of Iran today and their cultural and historical context. Gary Gotch has co-translated three books of poetry from Korean by Ko Un, his anthology by book, Buddha, Poems from Beat to Hip Hop, received an American Book Award from the Four Columbus Foundation. He is also author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Buddhism and Pause, Breathe, Smile. For more information, you can visit Gary's website, which is garygash.com, and that's G-A-R-Y-G-A-C-H dot com. Hello, Gary. Thanks for joining me. Robert, it's here. Privilege, a pleasure, and a heavenly delight. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, this little book of life, um, and I, I knew nothing <laughs> about Hafez before I read your book and, and got into detail. So I'm, I'm looking forward to um, you being able to inform and enlighten our my listeners. So, first of all, let me start with. Let me start with, now you co-translated Hafez's work with Erfan Mojib. So can you tell us a little bit about how that collaboration came about? Good question. I give you two points in this uh, journey. The first was we never would have done this because he's, not only the greatest pinnacle of Persian poetry of all time, but he's considered untranslatable. But uh, we were pitching another book that we had done together, and the publisher of the Little Book series asked if we could add Hafez to their Little Book series. So we scratched our heads, and Erfan came up with a um, solution 
form of a book published by the renowned filmmaker Abbas Kiristami, who took a book of, made a book of Rumi, of Saadi, and Hafez, and in each one, he does an interesting thing. He'll take just a line from a poem and look at it in close-up, and then uh, edit it into separate lines, like it was a little movie. So they're actually vignettes from the gazels of uh, Hafez. We, there's one gazel in the back as an appendix, so a reader can see what an entire um, lyric would look like and how hard they are to to translate. Um, and then there's the third thing, if I may, is that a, a real miracle. We I think we. Um, collaborated using a Google Doc and Google Duo, which is to say he could do something to the text while I was looking at it. I could write a comment in the side or highlight something. We could pause and one of us could go to the online uh, thesaurus in Persian. And it was a ball. <laughs> wow. That, that sounds like fun. I mean, you know, isn't it just amazing with today's technology, the ability to co-create? Oh, my God. I mean, that's the fun part. It, it, you know, when, when the Internet came out, people were talking about a website or, you know, this or that. But it's like Facebook really capitalized on that because they realized people would rather, um, you know, create and consume their own content. <laughs> and build a kind of a community that way, rather than it being a, a static um, kind of sheet of paper translated into pixels or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it is amazing. So, if you would, please um, tell the listeners a bit about who Hafez was. Yeah, good question. So, 14th century. So, he's a contemporary of Dante in Italy and Chaucer, although he's more like a century later Shakespeare. He he was born in Shiraz, which was like the um, Athens of Persia in general. And in his day, it was like um, Florence under the de Medici's. This is kind of a golden age. But, he lived under five rulers, none of whom came to a natural end. And um, one of them was a uh, brutal, dictatorial, fundamentalist Muslim, which sort of made him go underground because he wasn't <laughs> by any means. But generally, he made his living uh, being associated with the court. He could recite the Quran not only by heart, but he knew um, all the different renditions, which is how he gets his nickname. Uh, Hafez means someone who can recite the Quran. Um, and that he also knew all of the Persian poets, Sadi and Rumi and Attar and so forth. And he knew all of the contemporary poets as well. And in his own work, he would quote all of them, including the Quran and, and everything. He is um, 
best compared to Rumi, perhaps, as Omid Safi puts it, the scholar. If Rumi is a deep ocean of wisdom, Hafez is a brilliant jewel. He's a multifaceted diamond that's so brilliant, it's just astonishing. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one of the things I read um, in the book was that he was reluctant to have his work put in a book. Um, so, and I found that, you know, interesting. What, what do you, um, what is the story surrounding that? Well, how did you find interest in it first? Well, I just thought, you know, because, you know, that's one of the things that writers like, <laughs> you know, is to, to be able to, you know, Oh, 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 oh. Now, now, well, no, no. Thank you for giving me a way to get get into the answer. Um, he was actually known throughout Persia and the Persian-speaking world in his lifetime because his lyrics were literally lyrics. They were sung, so he'd write a new one, and he would copy it out. And off they go, like troubadours, actually around the same time as the European troubadours. So he had fame, for sure. Um, but the thing was, everybody who was, you know, like him, a poet, would have a collected work. It's called the Divan, Divan. And uh, he said no. And it's interesting. I think it means two things. I think one... He was, uh, unlike most of the other poets of his day, he had like a third as much of an output. So either he was just very lazy or he would work on something for a long time in his mind. Or I think also more likely, he uh, polished and refined each piece, whereas people would just sort of dash something off. Um, and I think the other thing, too, for me, spiritually, is like, he left no trace except this. You know, it's it's that he just kind of was like the burning bush that wasn't consumed, but was just on fire. And someone asking him to sit down and collect his work was like, to him, like, yeah, that would be like putting a car in reverse to use. <laughs> Uh, an example from a different era, but it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I just thought. I mean, it makes you wonder, you know, the motive, you know, behind, you know, something like that. Now, I found it interesting that, you know, his work was lyrical and, and you know, and sung. Um, is that um, was that a a common, I guess, practice um, during that uh, 14th century, you know, when it comes to poetry? Um, you've asked a question that I'd like to answer in a, in a way that will include what you're asking and something else, if I may. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Rumi, I don't think, was, you know, some. I mean, because he didn't, he wrote some lyrics 
guzzled, but he wrote like enormous amounts of prose and the different formats of his poetry weren't necessarily I mean some of them are very very beautiful to hear mm. but um, what I would rather kind of emphasize is first that in his day up to today people in Iran quote poetry in everyday life it's not something apart from uh, people's lives in the uh, quotidian, mundane, secular world. Um, mm. the, but I think it's also, I'd like to just mention an, an insight I got recently, just recently, like last week. It's this, if I go into uh, a bookstore and I'm looking for, say, um, mm, the Book of Tao by old Mr. Lao, the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. I'll find it in um, Eastern religion, mm -hmm. Chinese religion or something. And um, if I'm looking for, um, oh, what's another example? Um, um, I actually forgot the second example, but I'll use, <laughs> use that. Um, I don't find Lao Tzu in poetry. And yet, oh, I know the other. The other one is if I'm looking for the really the closest transcript we have word for word of what the Buddha said is the Dhammapada. And the Dhammapada, like the Tao Te Ching, it's written as poetry, but we don't shelve it in poetry, but we shelve Rumi usually in poetry, and we'll shelve Hafez in poetry because Whereas to them, poetry and mm, philosophy were not separate. Right? And to us, you know, kind of since the Industrial Revolution or something, they are. They are. We've kind of we lost touch with the uh, devotional, spiritual side of poetry until around Rumi in the seventies or Mary Oliver. Mm. So. Um, Answering your question and kind of raising the stakes a bit about something that I'd like um, the community to hear. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, it's one of the kind of things you know, that kind of back, you know, kind of going on the back of that. Um, have you found that, you know, because when it comes to poetry, have you found that there is a um, maybe a kind of a zeitgeist kind of feeling about um, the value, I guess, of poetry? What uh, a zeitgeist! Kind of like kind of like a um, you know a, a generalized image of, of poetry being significant. I mean, I mean, for people out there who are poets, who, you know, write poetry, and I've talked to a few, even though for them it's, um, you know, it's personal, it's expressive, it's creative, it, you know, there's there are a lot of reasons why um, they sometimes find the 
I guess the commercialization, you know, of poetry isn't um, very strong. Yeah, well, so to, I guess, continue this kind of vector, right, it's good. Um, it's worth mentioning that Hafiz is not quite self-expressive or any of the things you mentioned. He's writing from a different angle, and I would call it mystic. Although, also, it's just flat-out love poetry sometimes. But we have no idea how much it's autobiographical. Um, and he covers such a gamut of um, emotions. You know, one wonders to what degree they were autobiographical or just his ability to tap the heart. Um, and so when we um, learn of um, Persian mysticism, such as Sufism, we learn about it first through poetry, because poetry in Persia is not separate from philosophy, whereas it is to us. And also because poetry is pretty much the limit before which you pass beyond words. So for people who write um, spiritual poetry um, of a not just devotional but mystic nature, um, Hafez um, opens up that realm and unlike uh, the other poets up until say the 70s, um, this is this has been enormously uh, commercially successful. Um, unlike, say, you know, you usually publish a book of poetry, it used to be 500 copies. Now it's more just because the population is larger. But it's never been considered something, I think, in the cash nexus, except when we're talking about, say, Rumi. Hafez has sold a million copies already. Um, Rumi, translated by Coleman Barks, has been this phenomenal um, commercial uh, success, meaning lots of people, rather than, I think, the usual concept of poetry as being, you know, just like you and me talking and just us two. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you and I talking is poetry. <laughs> yes. Very different. <laughs> Very different in, in style. But yes, I, I, I agree with you. And um, I, I just found um, his work to um, just stimulate thought. You know, I mean, it, it's, you know, as I was going through and reading some of the entries, um, the, I mean, they're very short. Um, but it seems that they um, kind of spark, you know, contemplation and, and you know, wonder and, and that kind of um, response for me. It generated that. How do you like the so, phones? <laughs> <laughs> I do. And speaking of the uh, phones, you know the the book is um in it's called basically a five point journey but through the garden of world wine love wisdom and ecstasy 
So can you um, tell the listeners and myself, you know, how did you come about the categorization, you know, the um, coming up with the different realms of of each of those and and why gardens? Realms is a good word, and gardens. You read my mind. That's why I asked about the love poetry. So, so here we are, you know, with the prospect of translating Hafez via vignettes and then how to arrange and organize like 250. Um, It's sort of like, you know, um, there's the panorama of the big picture as well as all the episodic details. And it just kind of was intuitive that um, a five-part structure would work. And I guess somewhere I might have been thinking of the symphony, the Western symphonic Mm -hmm. form, but also it was um, consciously trying to um, immerse or drop the reader in to a personal experience of uh, what might be called a Sufi journey. A Sufi journey starting with uh, the world because you know, where we are is right in front of us. It's, we start here. Mm. And um, we recognize the you know, shortcomings of living in a, a relative dimension. And sometimes that comes out in terms of um, the, the social uh, ills or aches. And also uh, a feeling of longing a feeling of separation, um, and that could be social, it could be uh, in terms of another person, whatever it is, we start with the world, so we don't start with the notion of uh, Hafez as being the supreme mystic from another realm, we start with the here and now, and um, the woes of the world lead us to the tavern, <laughs> why, which <laughs> Hafez knew about quite uh, personally, because as a member of the court, he had access to some of the finest wines produced in Shiraz. Um, And he also patronized the taverns at the outskirts of town run by um, the Zoroastrians and Jews, even though wine uh, is technically forbidden in an Islamic country, as it was at that time. So now we get into crossing uh, uh, borders, uh, being a free spirit, uh, transgressing even if we need to, and in wine having um, not just the literal uh, uh, interpretation of the grape, but a mystical, spiritual, symbolic range of interpretations, such as the goblet being the uh, human body. Um, filling with divine spirit, um, uh, the altered state of wine, uh, helping us to bypass the um, what censor of the or the critic or the judge of the intellect, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, so we go from the world into some kind of initiatory uh, place, uh, and from there, um, I, it goes into the love poetry, which 
carries on these dialogues between uh, not just self and other, because from a mystic point of view, that separation isn't quite as um, like being a, a skin-encapsulated ego, <laughs> no way how much, mm -hmm. but, but that would become more permeable. Love opens our heart to uh, uh, the divine and also to our vulnerability. So in the section on love, the reader is exposed to how um, the, the mundane and the divine a mirror and magnify each other as they interfuse, kind of as in the mm, Song of Songs, Sheer Hasharim, also in Christianity, the Bride of Christ. So, the largest part of the book, and it goes through all different kinds of experiences of love. But at least, you know, one of one which I hope will kind of tug at a reader's uh, personal heartstrings. And uh, using that as a metaphor for our longing for the divine, we then go into um, wisdom realm, where um, much of the teachings that are kind of overt as well, overt instead of um, kind of subliminal until now, are presented. And from there, uh, the last shortest section, Coda, is uh, ecstasy. Mojib, 
called Hafaz's Little Book of Life. Um, again, you can find out more about Gary's work by visiting his website, which is GaryGach.com, and that's G-A-R-Y-G-A-C-H.com. Okay, with that, we're back to Gary. Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, that, one of the things that um, we talked about in the book was um material kind of representing maximalism. Uh, so, can you tell me if there's a little bit about you know, what that is? Yeah, um, we touched about it in the beginning of the show, I think, that um, uh, he probably more than most uh, authors um, is extremely inclusive. Um, today we've uh, come into a period of uh, minimalism for a long period of time, and now I hope we're taking a global view again, which he does. Um, remember there's a recent movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, which gave uh, a lot of Oscar awareness to it. That was kind of a maximalist approach. Um, I think in our culture, uh, very fragmented, you know, they speak of the long tail of the Internet where everybody has their own little kind of uh, outpost um, and not really connected to any larger picture, which I would say Hafez is. Um, whether it's Sufism or something more than Sufism is another question, but he certainly has a, um, a big picture view of, uh, of it all or what everything is or what, you know, capital M meaning might be, as well as the, uh, the incidental, you know, phenomena, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know what, we have, I have a problem going on <laughs> right now on, on the phone. Um, let me just take a second and call you back, okay, so that we can get rid of that. I don't want that for the rest of the show, okay? You want to call me? So, yeah, I'll call you right back. I'm going to hang up on you. Okay, so the the idea of maxim, maximalism um, is that larger worldview. The um, the incorporate that that I think that you know pointed to that um, the recent movies will give people a good idea that it kind of transcends space and time kind of in, in a way. Right, in one of his poems he says, I'm looking for a pearl beyond the shell of space and time. Well, yeah. You know, I, I, that, um, I think, you know, like that movie, that is a, um, a belief that some people sometimes, you know, find it hard to grasp. Um, and there was um, another movie, Cloud Atlas, I believe, was was what it was called, that 
kind of have that same idea of um, one's being um, kind of being in, in, in different times, um, different roles, um, and that, uh, you know, it, it contributes to the idea that, you know, life goes on, you know, and, and the whole idea of reincarnation, which, you know, of course is um, – some people, some people find hard to to grasp, but um, I think it's becoming less so now. It reminds me of a poem by Hafez. Do you want to hear it? Yes, absolutely. It's it's brief. No surprise if in seventh heaven, lyrics composed by Hafez and sung by Venus entice Jesus to dance. So we have Hafez, Venus, uh, the goddess, uh, Jesus, uh, the Christian Savior, all in one poem. And how could that be? Well, I think he lived uh, on, uh, on multi-dimensions, you know, uh, uh, a multi-dimensional um, appreciation of uh, life beyond um, the rectilinear. It's like Zen says, if you have a box and you open the lid, (laughs) suddenly it's no longer just the dimensions of the box with the lid open. There's all of space all around and inside of it. And space has no beginning or end or top or bottom or color. It's just kind of um, vast. (laughs) And so with time. And so with time. Yeah, you know, it's it points to the idea that um, so many you know, differing views, you know, worldviews, religious views, political views, that all of those different views coexist. Not that they can, but they, that they do coexist. In in um, a greater picture, right? Um, yeah. yeah, is 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 God listening and wondering? Oh, are they are they speaking to me in my language? No, 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 no. They're not speaking to me in my language. I don't listen to their prayers. Yeah. Um, I think you know. Uh, all they all coexist, sort of like um, you probably heard this. Um, different shores of a vast lake and the the lake is vast and deep and every shore it might have a different taste of course but uh, they all Mm -hmm. are part of the bigger picture yeah absolutely now um, Hafez was also viewed as an oracle in his time so tell us about that (laughs) Yeah, well, he he has a nickname, Tongue of the Hidden, or of the Unseen. Um, came about from the very inception of um, when it came time to bury him, and people said, oh, we're not going to bury him. He was a heretic, and they kind of so many people in, in popular in his day he was so popular in popular culture they said no 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 he's our hero he's our he's our guy um so they came up with a solution and they would um 
have somebody pull a line out of his poetry. And the line out of his poetry was something that spoke to the situation and said, you know, don't think of me as a heretic. <laughs> give, me a, give me a proper reality. It's like from that point on, he, when he was no longer breathing, he became, I, I have some, it's something I don't understand and I need to ask more people about. He became like Nostradamus, you know, in a way, mm-hmm. where, mm-hmm. although, you know, you open a book and you put your finger on it and you read it, and it's an oracle. Well, today in uh, Iran, not only do people love his poetry so much, you'll see it, you know, on your receipt from the bakery, you know, or you'll get a couple of little cards in your takeout that have little poems of Hafez. But if you are on the street and you're coming out of, you know, a store, a little boy may come up to you on a bicycle uh, with a little kind of box that he carries. And uh, for a, a little bit amount of money, the, um, the little birdie on his shoulder will pick out a little card from the box. And he'll show you the card, and it's a line from Hafez, and he'll tell you what it means. The card has a little you know, kind of interpretation. And this is common uh, today. It's sort of like the I Ching. <laughs> He's become this this oracle. And I don't quite, you know, I can understand how clairvoyance works and ESP, but I, it, how this happens, it's, the, at this point in my understanding, it's kind of like um, when someone becomes a saint and then you can pray to them. And they were mortal, but then they they go to another level where they're still active. Their 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 attainment is such that they're still communicating with us. So you know that's that's very much partly my um, you know Gary Bach uh, doesn't know much yet, but is learning <laughs> interpretation. But it's a very real phenomenon, actually. It actually happened to me during the course of the book. Yeah, tell us about that. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, so, deep breath. We're finishing the book, and you know it has all these moving parts: the biography, a map, a glossary, and three appendixes, all this stuff. And it's all due uh, in a day, and I'm making sure there's everything and. I couldn't believe it, but one line in the glossary, one word, fell out. And I I could reach for it somewhere else, and I found it, and I put it back in. And that day was when the uh, 22-year-old Kurdish uh, young girl named uh, Masa Gina Amini uh, was in the news because... um, the morality police in Iran uh, took her aside because her hair was coming, was being shown from her covering called hijab. And apparently she was beaten. And apparently she was in a coma and died. For her hair, of all things. And that sparked a, a movement, which is still going on, uh, Woman Life Freedom of uh, people in Iran who are uh, women who, although there's a terror 
of this happening to them are kind of like the Fez would stand up to power. Uh, they're, they're, um, you know, they become martyrs mm-hmm. uh, in in a movement to um, protest against the dictatorial aspect of um, the uh, religious um, yeah. uh, mullahs. And then it happened to me. I was like, oh, my God. You know, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, he's an oracle. Right. And then it happened to me. (laughs) So I can't can't dismiss that. No, no. See, I I agree that, you know, Mm. when that type of synchronicity happens, Mm. um, for me, it it seems to be uh, in – attention getter that that it's for me the part is to raise my awareness of something no greater than you know this mundane world that I'm experiencing you know and yeah. Yeah. and that um and I think it's those bits of um coincidence or you know those it's to me it's those experiences are are just meant to for the individual to have their awareness, you know, kind of like a little push, a little poke, you know, as to you know, by the way, you know, something bigger than what you're seeing going on. Exactly. Yeah. And I like how you use the word synchronicity as I was that coined by Jung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, those yeah. Uh, yeah. when when those happen for me, I always just take pause because I'm like, okay, thank you for showing me, and uh, right, you I know, the memo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> While you were out, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Memo. So w- one last um, kind of topic um, was that um, discussing um, Hafez. Um, as a portal into Iranian art, um, you know, into the, the culture of the people. You know, because right now, you know, in the last, what, maybe since the 70s, you know, um, a lot of folks have had a um, somewhat skewed view of Iran and its, um, and its, it's actions, let's say, you know, and um, so, so can you can you talk a little bit to the the um, the beauty, you know, that that Hafez was able to put forth um, in that culture. That's a great point. I I wish I could you know, talk about it for an hour, but to be um, succinct. Um, People in Iran quote poetry in everyday life, of which um, Iran, in Iran, Hafez is so primary that actually over there they've wondered, why are these Westerners interested in Rumi and, and Attar? Don't they know about Hafez? Because to give you an example of how deeply he's um, um, embedded in the culture, uh, on New Year's, Nowruz, which is literally on the equinox, um, 
there's a game that people will play where one person says a line of Hafez, and then the next person's turn is to say a line beginning with the last word of the previous line, meaning that they've all memorized Hafez. <laughs> Their Quran, they may not know by heart like he did, but they know his work. Hmm. And um, the period when he uh, survived under these uncertain rulers uh, very much speaks to the Persian uh, indomitable spirit, uh, which has survived under you know, several rules so far. Mm. Uh, I, I, just to appreciate the, the soul of Iranian people is, I think, reading Hafez is an antidote to seeing pictures, uh, which we've seen for 20 years in the newspaper, of Iranians as a uh, cleric sitting in, an ant in a big chair with an anti-Makassar facing another diplomat in a big chair with an anti-Makassar in 45 degree angles. Uh, whereas Hafez tells us about the, a great love uh, that Persian people feel for life and other people. Uh, probably the most hospitable people I've ever met on the planet, you know. So, um, I, I consider that the, the, the art of Hafez is a great window into the, uh, the beautiful soul of the Iran, the Iranian people. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's, and I, we, we need that. <laughs> we need people to see the larger world, you know, beyond, you know, what kind of what's being presented to us. Um, now, in the book, you mentioned you have a glossary. Um, that um, I'm sure, I mean, for me, <laughs> it was very helpful in being able to go through and um, gain an understanding of some of the terminology, but but uh, that, um, you, when you put that together, you also put together a bibliography. So tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, um, kind of how you assembled that. Mm. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, the glossary, actually lately I'm kind of thinking of as a dream, uh, uh, a dream book. If I dreamt about something, if it's in the glossary in the book, I'm looking it up because it's so many symbols of uh, Persian culture. The, the bibliography, no, it's kind of uh, routine. Uh, there's so many different translations, but, you know, it's an interesting uh, job to call and curate um, what we feel were the best uh, books of and about uh, Hafez in English. Mm. And just to dot an I and cross a T, there's, I think, three appendixes, <laughs> not only about Hafez as, a, as an oracle, but sh uh, showing the musicality of how the poems actually read in Persian you know, all kinds of amenities like that. It was great, yeah. great awesome. It is wonderful. Well, would you share, maybe for um, as an outgoing um, kind of example, of one of Hafez's poems? Oh, yeah, why don't I read the, the first one and then one at random. The first one is Between These Two Doors. This caravan. And then I'll juxtapose it with 
don't take this moment of friendship for granted. In the front door, out the back, then to meet again, no more. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get to get your thinking. And, and I can see where um, that they would kind of show themselves, you know, when when a particular situation arises, like you talked about the bird with the cards and, 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 you know, the opportune kind of message received. You know, it's it's very much like uh, that kind of thing that uh, um, the people can experience. So, well, Mary, I really wanted to thank you for your time today. It's, it's really been fascinating. I, I've learned a lot, and oh, I'm sure others have learned a lot by reading your book. Oh, thank you so much. You're, you're very welcome. And now, do you have other translations in the works? Um, I have uh, two dozen manuscripts, um, and uh, probably the next might be the, from Chinese. Ah, good. That, that's another culture that I think that we can use enlightenment from. So. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for your time, Gary. I appreciate it, and look forward to maybe talking to you again when when the oh. next one is birthed. Okay. Well, thank you for your life, Robert. And all you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Gary Cock, and we've been talking about the book that he co-authored, co-translated, excuse me with Erfan Mojib called Hafez's Little Book of Life. Again, you can find out more about this book as well as Gary's other books by visiting his website, which is GaryGach.com, and that's G-A-R-Y-G-A-C-H.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again... Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Be sure to visit our website at www.biteradio.me. That's B-I-T-E-R-A-D-I-O dot M-E. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Byte Radio Me. And our shows are also available as a free podcast from iTunes. And until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.